Section 17 of Sunbeams by George W. Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Clerk Who Gets Drunk A young man in a country town writes for a list of stores in Milwaukee as he says he is going to apply for a situation as clerk. He says that he has been discharged from the place he has worked for two years because he got full one day and the old crank who employed him got mad and he says he has got sick of working in a town where they look upon a little drunk as a crime and he wants to get into milwaukee where he has been told they never ask any questions about a man's drinking habits as long as he can do his work well young man if you come here with any such idea you will be standing on the corners before long asking passers-by for the price of a meal, and when you get it, you will buy a drink. There is no place where a man can drink if he wants to and not be interfered with as long as he behaves himself easier than in Milwaukee, but the merchants are not looking for men who smell like the front door of a wholesale liquor store, and such a man will be fired as quick in Milwaukee as he would be in a temperance town that did not have a saloon in it. Some men get an idea that they can drink a dozen times a day, and by chewing cloves or taking some sort of bromo, nobody will notice it. But the first time that, after the ball smell is detected on a man in a store, you will see the floor walker look wise, and that man is on the suspected list right away, and if he keeps it up, some Saturday night he will get his pay envelope and be told that business is not very rushing and he can lay off, or maybe he can find a better place at some other store, and he goes off indignant and gets his skin fuller than ever over Sunday, and on Monday morning he goes into the store with a soiled collar and cuffs on and has spilled something over his vest and he looks wilted. He just goes in the store to see how they are getting along without him, and he finds the store full of customers, and he goes to the counter where he used to sell goods, and there he finds a bright girl, clean and neat as a pin, cool as ice cream, with dainty hands and sweet face, with a fetching silk shirtwaist with no stale beer on it, buttoned up with gold buttons, with a blue stone in them hair daintily dressed and pushed back from the sweetest forehead that has no whiskey blotches on it, and eyes that twinkle with healthy happiness that does not depend on a morning cocktail, and she is smiling at customers that he used to get mad at when his hair pulled, and he watches her treat diplomatically all the people who are looking for bargains, and they all seem very happy, and the floor walker even has a smile on his face as he bows to the old clerk, who has a bad taste in his mouth, and looks at the new clerk, who looks as though she had a sweet taste in her mouth, because her teeth are like pearls and her lips are red, while the old clerk's teeth look neglected, and he has a cold sore on his lips, and you can't stand very near him, while you couldn't get near enough to the girl who has taken his place. The old clerk takes his expiring jag out of the store, and buys another drink, and goes out to the bank of the lake, and thinks what a fool he is, and wonders whether he couldn't hire one of the tramps that are asleep down by the track to kick him. 
he walks about the street, and he is astonished to see the number of idle men who look as though they felt just as he does. He has never thought of it before, but he sees men everywhere that he has known used to hold a good position, but who drank too much and lost their jobs, and they never do seem to catch on again, though they brace up and try to show that they have quit budging. Merchants have little confidence in their promises after once they have got the big head and wouldn't allow anybody to tell them they were injuring themselves by drinking too much. If the young man who has been discharged in the country knows what is good for him, he will not come here looking for a job over a tumbler of red liquor, nor go into a store searching employment smelling like rectified spirits, for even the man who runs a saloon wouldn't hire him. The bartenders who are always being sought by saloon keepers are the ones who never drink the stuff they sell. Business and a stomach that can be tapped and high wines drawn from it do not go together, even in a city. A businessman who has a clerk that drinks too much has a list in his pocket of a dozen young men and women who can take that clerk's place at a moment's notice, and the business will go right along, jagless and joyous. The girl that takes the place of a man who drinks keeps looking better all the time, and if she entered the store with a pale, thin face, she develops dimples and smiles each day, and customers and clerks alike fall in love with her, while the man who drinks too much keeps getting more frowsy and musty and moth-eaten. THE OLD KICKER KICKS "'What beats me,' said the man with the spectacles, with a slit in the center of the glass, made to read through the bottom piece, or look at the scenery through the top, as he looked up from his paper on a suburban train, and addressed a man with a sunburned nose and hands brown and hairy, "'is how those Filipinos can be licked every day, and scattered to the four winds, and then come up smiling the next day to be whipped again.' You would naturally think they would know when they are whipped and would sue for peace. And he looked out the car window at a farmer leading a bull with a ring in its nose to water. They remind me of a boy I used to sit with in school, said the man with a sunburned nose. He had to be whipped every day or he couldn't learn anything. The rest of us were contented with a whipping once in a week or ten days. But this fellow got it every day and his father whipped him when he got home at night. Some people are built that way, but how these Filipinos have time to collect food enough to fight on beats me when they are chased around so and kept on the jump. Well, said the old kicker, who was sitting opposite these two citizens smoking a manila cigar that smelled like a burning brush pile and caused the conductor to turn pale while punching a ride out of the commutation ticket, let me tell you something about these little people who fight day and night and laugh when they are dying. They don't need food, as we look at food. Our great big soldiers have to have embalmed beef and beans and salt meat and coffee and bread and all that, and they can't carry food enough to last them more than a day or two. But these little Filipinos can live a week on a piece of sugar cane just chewing the pulp. They can sleep leaning against a fence and can go through a swamp on all fours like an alligator. 
and get out and shake themselves like a dog and are ready for business. I tell you that is an awful enemy to handle. Why, sometimes for three days you don't hear anything about them. That is the time they are drunk on some kind of liquor they make out of rice and that such stuff. It is deadly, and after drinking a few swallows of it they are dead to the world for two or three days, and they don't eat. Then, when they come out of the drunk, they can't eat anything for three days. So there is six days' food saved to the commissary. Then they find a rotten banana and eat it and brace up and take a stick of sugar cane and a handful of rice. The jag they have had makes them spoil for a fight. The bugle sounds, and away they go for a fight for your life. And the old kicker settled back in his seat and looked out the window at a farmer with a wagon load of milk on the way to a creamery. But don't you think, when Otis gets the new regiments that are on the way, that he can wind up the war before Congress meets in December? asked the man with the split glasses, glancing through the lower part of them at a heading in the morning paper. Well, that will depend, said the old kicker, as he picked up the lemon drop the news agent had dropped in the seat as a sample. They can't go to fighting as soon as they get there, no more than you could use green lumber in making furniture. It will take three-fourths of the new soldiers at least one season to get acclimated, and they ought to lay around there breathing the malaria and eating quinine for at least six months. In fact, they ought to have been there last fall. If Otis sends these boys that are being rounded up in the States, these slick, fat, rosy-cheeked fellows, out to the firing line at once when they get there, they will raise the deuce with the Filipinos the first few days, and they will march in the sun, wade swamps and swim rivers, and bury niggers and burn towns, and the enemy will scatter and disappear, and the dispatches will say, Lawton has whipped them, and this general and that general has wiped them off the face of the earth, and Otis will order a celebration and a peace jubilee, and just as Congress is about to pass resolutions of thanks to the brave generals, the new recruits will be filling hospitals. And the first thing you know, Mr. Filipino will show up with his sugarcane commissary outfit, and he will say, You can't lose me, Sevy, and he will begin to shoot right where he left off, and burn your hospitals, and raise merry Hades. But the dispatches will only say, the enemy shows some activity, but the transports that come back will be loaded with cripples on crutches, and there will not be a rosy cheek in all Luzon. And the old kicker got up to stretch his legs as the train was getting pretty near to town. Cheerful idiot, isn't he? said the man with the skin peeling off his nose. Well, I wouldn't pick him out for a successful recruiting officer, said the man with the split glasses. But honestly, don't you think we will conquer those insignificant people before the next election? In the dispatches, yes. In Luzon, Nixie, you might as well try to exterminate rats. You can catch some rats, but the majority keep on doing business, as they have since Noah got up the animal excursion. Well, here we are, and the passengers got off to resume the conduct of the war on their trip out, in the afternoon. The Vacation Season 
This is the season when the businessman sits in his office and okays the applications of clerks for vacations and watches the things they take with them on their trips and he comments on the changes that have come since he was a boy. He sees a clerk go out of the door with a smile and a split bamboo rod, a reel of the latest device, and a flask that will hold a pint, and he smiles at the outfit. Another goes off with a breech-loading gun, cartridges loaded to the queen's taste, new hunting clothes of yellow canvas that would scare a duck off the marsh, shoes of yellow leather that lace up so far it will take him half a day to lace them up and the other half day to unlace them and he smiles at that outfit another clerk has a canvas canoe that he carries in a bag that can be put together when he gets to the lake he is going to visit and which will rear up and tip over and dump him in the drink the first time it is wet another clerk has a lawn tennis racket and knee breeches and another has golf sticks and plaid stockings with a scotch cap that would frighten the natives a girl clerk bids him good-bye with a pale smile under the wide white hat with a feather and he knows the smile she will bring back to him will be sunburned and sweeter and when they are all gone he sits at his desk and thinks of his boyhood days and wonders if the boys will have any more fun on their vacation than he did as a boy when every summer was a vacation. He wonders if his clerk with a split bamboo rod and the canvas boat will have as much fun catching muscalange as he used to have when a boy sitting on the bank of a sluggish stream catching bullheads with a piece of liver for bait, when every bullhead swallowed the bait clear down to his tail and had to be cut open with a butcher knife to get the hook. He can see himself in the dark night, throwing the bullheads over his head into the dusty road and later stepping on one of them with his bare foot and getting a horn run into that foot that caused him to walk on his toes for a month. He wonders if the bullheads lay in the dust hours at a time nowadays and continue to live just to get a chance to run a horn in a boy's foot. He hears bullheads have gone out of style, and is sorry he didn't tell the clerk to bring him a nice mess of bullheads, so he could go out into the kitchen of his palatial home and tell the cook how to roll them in cornmeal and fry them in salt pork fat. He thinks, as he sits there, of the old scow his father made for him and caught with rags, with tar on the cracks, and put it in the mill pond, and how he sailed away barefooted with one suspender of bed-ticking holding up trousers not very strong, and how he went out into the world with a shirt for a sail more than twenty rods before the boat filled with water and he had to paddle it back to shore with his bare feet for a screw propeller. He remembers getting some oakum and a chisel and sitting up half the night to drive it into the cracks, and how proud he was when it was dry all the next day, and he filled one end of it with perch and sunfish. He has owned yachts and steamboats since, but he never has had so much fun as he did that day with the scow his father made, and while he has since that time caught fish in all waters, salmon, tarpon, and muscalunge, he has never felt so good as he did when catching bullheads, sunfish, and perch in the old mill-pond at home. He wonders if that clerk who went off with a gun 
knows how to surround a squirrel on a limb of a tall tree, and regrets that he did not give the clerk a few pointers about squirrels, as he remembers how tight they will lay to the top of a limb when you are trying to get a shot at them, and look over at you with one eye not bigger than the head of a black pin, with not a hair showing over the limb. He wishes he had told the clerk to take off his coat and hang it on a bush, and then sneak around the tree and shoot the squirrel on the other side while he is watching the coat. But he thinks maybe the clerk is not a squirrel hunter, and he gives up the idea of helping him. And then the old businessman looks at his watch, and he finds it is time to go home, and he gets up with a pain in his back and wonders if his time will ever come again to take a vacation. End of section 17 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina